have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. We're glad to have folks from our home church of Coney Heights. I asked them where they've been, <laughs> and I've been the one absent, but we appreciate them coming out tonight. Uh, Luke chapter 15, 11 through 20. I, I, you'll recognize this as the third story in the parable of... Uh, of lost and found but what I want to do tonight and, and it's not the purpose of this parable but it does tell that story is what to do when a child or a grandchild rebels what to do when a child or a grandchild rebels let me begin uh, reading in verse 11 then he he being jesus said a certain man had two sons and the youngest of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that fall to me that falls to me so he divided them into his livelihood and not many days after the young younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Some translations say wild living. Verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything and when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger verse 18 I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to the father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son verse 22 but the father said to his servants bring out the best robe put it on him and put a ring on his feet and a ring on it excuse me <laughs> a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring out the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and found, and they began to be merry. One of the challenges, it's not really a challenge, it's one of our main missions, is to reach the next generation. We actually... Uh, 25 years ago, we were saying 
that we'll miss this next generation. We, we did miss a lot of them. Guy Greenfield, a Christian sociologist and professor of Christian ethics at Southwestern Seminary, cited that in 1995, a study that Southern Baptists did was that 20% of Southern Baptist high school students, when they graduated from high school, left and did not come back to church. The estimates on that number now are, there's no later stuff, there's one for general uh, evangelicalism, general evangelicalism is about 70%. We think in Southern Baptist it's around 65%. So in 25 years that number's almost tripled. Now, as you personalize it for us, it applies to our children and our grandchildren. Uh, I'm thankful that we, we only have one child. Like Brother Rip said, it's sometimes, what did you say about one child, Brother Rip? Did, yeah, that's right. And that's a lot of truth to that. And uh, she loves the Lord. We're very thankful. But we have a 12-year-old grandson, and we have a 7-year-old granddaughter. Our 12-year-old grandson has cerebral palsy. He's very manageable and does well he's adopted but every day and he, he he got saved two years ago but being adopted child with a disability we pray for him every day as he goes into the teenage years and we pray for that little girl I know many of you do also for your children and great-grandchildren brother you've got what great-grandchildren don't you two and there are probably some others here who've got great-grandchildren. So we pray for them that they would grow up to be in Christ and stay in fellowship with Him. But the reality is that is not happening in a lot of families within our church. In fact, it's become more complicated with the rise of, and you like it or not, with the rise of same-sex relationships. The estimated same-sex relationships out of, the, out of a population over age 18, the uh, LBGTQ community or people that are sympathetic to them say 7%. Most Christian demographers say probably around 5.5%. We just finished Pride Month. Uh, and, and folks, we are against the tide. It may be the first real issue in America where we as followers of Christ are standing against the majority of American culture. Uh, American culture is about 64% in approval of same-sex lifestyles. And for me, I believe that goes against the biblical witness. <laughs> My uh, 
Uh, I, I own a franchise of, of a territory for 10 counties in the state of Georgia out of the largest senior care company in the world. We have 1,400 territories in 34 states now. We have three in mainland China. So two weeks ago, our CEO, Jeff Huber, called for 10 owners to be a part of diversity group. I signed up <laughs> for them to consider me. He said, why would you do that? Because I wanted to hear my voice. <laughs> I wanted to know that there are some conservative Christians that do not believe that's a valid lifestyle. I'm probably going to have to lawyer up before I <laughs> vocally believe it because uh, we're, just, we're in a day where there is hostility. It's been coming for a long time. I remember Sherry and I went to the 2010 Southern Baptist Convention and we had to walk through a, a parade of LBGQ. Now, they call T protesters and they shouted ugly stuff. It was so ugly I had to come back and ask my deacons what some of the words meant. I just didn't, didn't know. I said that in jest, but shouldn't have at that point. But it, it's, that's where we are. That's the culture we live in. So, for us who are followers of Christ, who are parents, there is this mandate for us to mold our children to be what the Lord Jesus called us to be. We have a mandate that is higher than the world to live by Christian values. Now, I, I want to say to all of us, and I'm talking to me, there's a call on my life to be accountable to God to live that standard. Uh, I am called by God to, to teach my child and to teach my two grandchildren uh, that we're accountable to the Lord. Listen to what Galatians 6 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sow, therefore they also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will uh, reap corruption, but he who sows to the uh, Spirit will have the Spirit everlasting. So if we sow that out, we reap it. Now I want to say a word to us, and I'm, I'm speaking to me. I hit 65 this year. We who are retired are getting ready to head in retirement or into our senior years. If we teach our children that when you uh, reach a certain age, we retire, we have the freedom to do what we please. We can go do whatever we want to do. What are we teaching them? We're teaching them that the goal of life is to do anything you want to do. So if we decide, I'm going to live my retirement on a cruise ship. I've been to church all my life. I've kept nurseries. And I'm going to tell you something. I have friends, one of my best friends in the world pastored for 40 years. And uh, <laughs> I need to stop there, but he, he recently, we had a conversation. He says, you know, 
we've been serving God for all these years. We've been making all these sacrifices. You know, I'm just going to go to church when I feel like it. I want to tell you something. That's teaching our children, our grandchildren the wrong thing. Because if I'm just free to live the way I want to live, if that's the goal of my life is freedom, unshackled from responsibility, I'm teaching my children and grandchildren that that's what they need to do. So there's no responsibility. And I believe when Jesus saves us, it's there. Now, I, I want to say this to you. I, that's, that's the one side of it. The other side of it is there comes a responsibility. And, and I could go through and share the verses Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Uh, we have that responsibility. Now, the other side of that coin, I'm going to put my, I've got my scripture, my notes, and I'll put this Bible here. I, I, the other side of that is there are some people who love the Lord, who walk with the Lord every day. They have done everything to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of God. And those children have rebelled against the Lord. Sherry and I got to know Brother Jim Wilson. He came and did a revival for us. And we were sitting around with Jim one day. And Jim's father was T.W. Wilson. Who, if you know the story of the Billy Graham Association, T.W. Wilson, Cliff Barrows, and Billy Graham, in 1949, that was the formation of it. And, and, and Jim grew up with Franklin. And we were talking, and he says, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> Franklin was the most spoiled child you've ever seen in your life. He wrecked three, uh, Brother Billy prayed for three motorcycles before he was 21. And if you look at Dr. Graham's children, uh, two out of five rebelled. Sometimes some of the most godly people who love the Lord still have children that rebel. Um, now, I, I want to deal with this because it's on our minds. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. And there have been believers and followers of Christ who are disappointed because they said I've abided by this principle all my life I've trained my child up in the way of the Lord I drug my child you know I did all that but yet my child has made a decision that dishonors the Lord well I know most of you know this but that is a principle that is given to us. It's not an absolute promise. A principle is this is what the Lord says that you are to do. And whenever you do that, uh, that's, that's the way we are to live. But children come to a point at a certain age when they're going to make a decision. Now, 
whenever we are dealing with this, and, and, and one of the things I'll just say to you is the church has got to figure out how to minister to families and parents and grandparents who have children that are rebelled against the Lord. Because I, I'm not going to raise hands on this because it's a personal issue. But these folks are in pain. Um, I wrote this up two years ago, and it's been online Bible study, and it was in the Life and Work series last fall. Sherry and I went to see a friend that we greatly admired. We ate with he and his wife. They had four children. Two of them were in ministry. And we were in the parking lot leaving the restaurant, and I asked him, I said, well, tell me about, and I called the name of his son. And he didn't say anything. And he pulled me over to the side. He said, you need, I hadn't told anybody. We're not talking about it. He said, he's fallen in love with another boy. And they're engaged. And he's planning on marrying this young man when he gets out of college. And this, this is a guy who I respected. Been in the same church 28 years. And a lot of these people are in pain because they're dealing with what do I have to do with a child who has rebelled? Now what I want to do tonight is just look at, with you, the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke and the story of the prodigal son and the father. Because, I, again, I don't want to say that this, is, this is an application of that parable. It's not the main truth of that parable. But I believe there are some things that... that we need to know from the parable. And, and by the way, to say this, I think, Daniel, this applies to you. Anybody else got a child under 10 in here? Bobby, you got one under 10. <laughs> no, not quite. He, Dr. James Dobson used to say that if we have a strong-willed child, you take a strong-willed child, and you draw a line there, if they're a strong-willed child, you say, don't cross that line. They're going to look you straight in the eye and put that toe right there and say, I'm going to put it there. And some of us are going to be blessed. Was he one, Diane? No? Okay. No. And some of us, strong-willed children are tough. I mean, they are tough. Here's the great truth about strong-willed children. If they get saved, a lot of times they'll go through their teenage years better because they'll have a stronger, they won't be relying on everybody else. But I just wanted to share that before we go on. Truth number one, we have to be strong enough to wait for our children to be under conviction. We have to wait. Uh, sometimes a parent or grandparent of a strong-willed child one of the best things they can do when that child is rebelling is wait for them to get to the point that they're going to listen. Now look at verse 14. To go back through the story, it was a story the Lord Jesus told of two sons. It's actually two stories, isn't it? It's the story of the younger son and the older son. When we get down to verse number 14, it says, but when he had spent all... There arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be at want. 
and then he went and joined himself to a citizen, and, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. Now, as I think about this, and I think about the father knowing, and this is extrapolating and thinking through this parable. Remember, a parable, as far as we know, is not true. It is the Lord Jesus taking a story and teaching us lessons from it. As far as we know, the, in the parable, the father did not go to rescue him. He did not go and say, I'm sure he had some idea that the son was living while and had squandered everything, and that day it must have traveled, but he didn't try to go and rescue him. He had to wait to the point where the rebellion against God came to the point that he would listen. Sometimes in rebellion, people won't listen. One of the biblical examples of this is the sons of Eli. In 1 Samuel, we're not going to turn over there for the sake of time tonight, but in 1 Samuel chapter 3, there were two sons of Eli. Eli was one of the priests. The priest had certain rights that they had, and going into a village, one of those rights was whenever there was a stew pot out, when they were cooking a stew, the priest could go in and take his fork and go down and get whatever. Well, the priest Eli had two sons, one named Hophni, one named Phinehas, and these two sons would abuse the right of the priest. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13, it says, For I told, and this is the Lord addressing Eli, I told him, Eli, that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. And his sons made them contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. This was Eli just turning his head, saying, okay, they've rebelled. I'm not really going to pay any attention to it. So there's a time and a responsibility that we have to confront sin in our lives. Now, this is tough. If you're, if you're going through this, as somebody said, this is easy preaching, tough living. <laughs> But if you're a parent or grandparent, lovingly, you have to express the fact that where they are is not where God wants them to be. That gets tougher. When a grandchild or child tells you, I'm coming home for Christmas and I'm bringing my girlfriend and we're living together or my boyfriend. Or something else in your life. But in a loving way, there has to be that part of it. But what happened was the father didn't immediately go out and try to rescue him and say, possibly, my son, possibly, is there hungry in the midst of this famine and trying to eat just what the pigs ate. He knew to wait. He was restrained and said, I'm not going to go out and try to go get him. I'm going to wait. That's tough. That's tough. I've, you've been through it with friends. I've been through it with church members. 
when they said, you know, I, I know my child is not where they'd be. They're in a hurtful lifestyle right now. But there's nothing I can do right now except wait and pray. Let me remind us of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not grow tired. You see, he's saying to them, when we wait, we gain strength for the right moment. So waiting in the power of God, and, and again, I know all of you know this, this is Sunday, I know that you know this, but waiting is not wasted time. Waiting in the Lord is the right thing. Sometimes it's difficult. That's <laughs> chairman of Baptist Search Committee back there. You're going through that process now. Waiting is tough. But waiting on purpose has power. So he's telling them that sometimes the first reaction is to wait. Truth too. You and I, you, you parents who have in a child or grandchild in rebellion, we must be strong enough to release that child. Now I'm, I'm going to discuss that, but look at, Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Again, the father had come to the point to where he had to wait on the son and part of that was to say, Father, uh, Lord, I, the, talking about the Father's response, I put the Son in your hands. He may have an empty stomach. He may have an empty wallet. He may have an empty life. But my response is that I'm to release them to you. Now, releasing is not only to pray for God's protection, but to pray for God's purpose. Let me say that to you again. Releasing is not only praying for God's protection of a child, but it's to pray for God's purpose in that child's life. One, one author wrote, the thought of exposing a child to physical hardship, to loneliness, to moral temptation, flies in the face of every parental instinct. Yet love must allow our children to see the consequences of a wrong decision. That they have to see it. And um, they have to release it. We have to release them. Uh, Dr. David Siemens in his book Handling Damaged Emotions says that a lot of times whenever we can't talk to them, write them a letter. Don't put it on social media. Don't send them an email. Write them a letter and tell them you love them. But say to them, I'm putting you in God's hands. I can't do anything else. I can't do anything else. You're in God's hands. 
had a pastor friend who had a child and, and uh, went into a same-sex relationship, and he was going to, wonderful pastor, going to resign his church. He said, I, I, I don't need to be here because it's going on life with my child. I didn't talk to him. A director of missions talked with him. Uh, I interviewed him a couple of years before Son for Lifeway. And uh, anyway, he said, I came to the point where I realized I had to put that child in God's hands. And, and, and there are those times whenever we have to say, Lord, they're in your hands. Number three, when they return, forgive the child and give them responsibility. Forgive the child and give them responsibility. Luke chapter 15 verse 20 says, And he arose, he being the prodigal son, and came to his father. When his father saw him a great way off, his father had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. I, I don't know about you, I love that passage. It, it, every time I speak, it speaks to me. It speaks to the love of the Father has for us whenever we fall into sin or whenever there's willful disobedience in our life. In verse 22, And the Father said to his servants, Bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and on his feet. A uh, Bible scholar, commentator, I couldn't, couldn't bring up who exactly it was, but brings a good point. The robe rec uh, represented restoration. Jesus was telling the story when the robe was wrapped around the sun, it represented that you are forgiven. Forgiving people is hard. Forgiving people that are kin to you is harder. <laughs> the embarrassment, all that you go through. But he gave him forgiveness. And then secondly, the ring represented a return to responsibility. Son, not only am I forgiving you and restoring to you, but the ring represented, now you have responsibilities in this family. God's forgiveness always goes with a purpose of our responsibility to Him. Grace is not meant to be abused. It is meant to be enjoyed, and it is meant to be given in a free way. So whenever we have someone who is rebelling, they can be forgiven. And that's my fourth point, and I'm going to end with this tonight. They can be forgiven, and they can be changed. They can be forgiven, and they can be changed. I think one of the things that Satan is blinding us with today is this. We are believing that our children, our grandchildren who fall into sin cannot be changed. That God can't change them. He can't restore them. In fact, we've just about given up on the 
homosexual community, a group called Exodus International. I've referred people to them across the years. I've had people come as pastor and they say to me, I've been living this lifestyle. I need to be rescued. And I, I need help to get out. I'm trapped in this. And this group called Exodus International would help them. They went out of business three years ago. Part of it was political and social pressure. And now we're believing that things that people are caught in is just a part of culture. And they can't be rescued. Folks, listen. God can change anyone. God can change anyone. He can forgive them. He can change them. We cannot give up on people. What I do today, they got a new name for it. They call it Marketplace Pastors. They don't call us Bible Daniel's familiar term. They call Marketplace Pastors. There's a growth of them. I'm older, but there's a lot of guys Daniel's age who are doing it. We've got two guys in Homestead. One of them is associate pastor of a church running 2,000. And he's got 600 employees. He, he's called to do both. We're seeing this rise of people that are doing this uh, because it's an opportunity to keep your uh, a foot in the world, a foot, uh, a foot in, in the marketplace and in the church. And one of the things that's uh, happened over the past eight years in my life is I identify myself freely as a Baptist pastor. I don't back up or apologize because I want people to know what the Lord has done. And that has led me to intersect with some people who have been caught in lifestyles that don't honor God. One of them is a I call her a friend. She was married to a Baptist deacon. They have three children. When she was 53 years old, she left her husband for a female primary physician. Um, and she grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Greenville, South Carolina. I talked to her. We became friends. About two years ago, she called me. And, and this is what she told me. She said, I, I listen to Christian radio all the time. And, and, and I, I, love to hear the I love to hear gospel music. But she said, I can't leave what I'm doing. <laughs> and I told her, I said, listen, Long story short, I said, you can. God can change you. And he can change the situation. And, and I know I'm majoring in on this. I want to tell you that a lot of these people are miserable. The high suicide rate in America is in the same-sex community. And I'm, I'm, I seem like I'm jumping on that. But, God can change these people. I have not given up on them. I've not given up on them. I've not given up on the couples that are coming to our churches, our grandchildren who say, I don't believe there's a God. I, I, I just believe that 
we're out here by ourselves and that's just something that's made up. And some of them are even saying, not that they just don't believe in it, but they believe that Christianity is harmful. And I don't believe, I think that we keep praying for them, I think we keep asking God to change them, I believe that He can change them. I'm not going to reshare my testimony, but again, as I shared last week, I wasn't a bad child, but I rebelled from 15 to 17 years of age, did some things I shouldn't have done. Um, I grew up in a rough area of eastern South Carolina. There was a lot of drug trafficking and and lighter drugs, marijuana, and uh, other things like that. I never got involved in that. I came home, I worked in a hospital, came in at 3 o'clock in the morning, and my mom and daddy confronted me. They said, son, where have you been? I said, well, I've been at the hospital working. I grew up around cotton, and we crop dusted. <laughs> Did y'all, y'all didn't have crop dusting around here. Anybody grow up around crop dusting? Brother Freddie, you did. So we had planes that would spray the fields, and they would spray insecticide. Back then it was DDT. <laughs> and if you got in that insecticide, it would get in your skin and kill you. So a friend of mine, Steve Weaver, was loading up a, a crop dusting plane and, and the skin, the, the insecticide got in the skin. And so when they came in the hospital, the only way you could treat them was wash them. We'd have to wash them about three to four times. That's all you could do was put soap on them, keep getting it out of the skin. So I stayed there with Steve that night. And I got home and my mom and daddy said, where have you been? I said, well, I've been at the hospital with Steve Weaver. They said, I want you to call somebody tomorrow. So there's a rumor that you've been arrested for selling drugs. I mean, that just made me mad. <laughs> I said, a bunch of hypocrites, small town around talking. All I got to do time for talk about somebody. Talk about teen. I had long hair and all that mess. And so it made me mad. I'm not going back to church. I didn't. I think nothing up at church but a bunch of hypocrites talk about them. My grandmother lived next to me. She loved Jesus. She was Scottish. She was stubborn. I mean, you're talking about stubborn. She was stubborn. She called me when I was 15 years old. She said, I'm leaving your granddaddy. I said, why, Mimi? She said, because he didn't take me fishing today. <laughs> she, but she loved the Lord. She loved the Lord. So when I'd come over to her house, She'd see me coming. You know what she'd do? She'd get her Bible out and she'd start singing hymns. And I'd walk in. I said, Mimi, what you doing? She said, well, I've been praying, reading the Bible, and I've been singing. She said, I've been praying for you. It'd make me mad. (laughs) But you know what? After I got saved, some of the best fellowship I had was with my grandmother. And she told me, she said, I've been, I knew God was going to save you. I've been praying for you. And I'm so thankful for her. Now, why I'm telling you that story, we, we can't give up. We can't give up. We've got to keep praying for our children.
we've got to keep praying for our children. We've got to put a priority on reaching them. Um, I, I, one of the exciting things is a lot of the churches that are, are seeing people saved today are seeing a lot of younger adults saved. And, and, and God is at work. But sometimes it involves us, number one, uh, waiting, number two, releasing them, number three, forgiving, and then number four, believing that God can change them. Thank you for listening. Let's stand together as we close tonight. Father, we thank you for your word and for this application truth tonight. And it may be, and I pray it's not for anyone here, because I pray that every child every grandchild represented by every family in this place is saved and serving you. But I know for Sherry and I, we love our grandchildren. We've only got two. But every day we pray. We know that the world that they grow up in will be challenging. And so now as they go into their teenage years and the rest of their life, Father, we're praying for them. And so, Father, we ask that, number one, you let us pray for our children and our grandchildren. And number two, for those grandchildren that rebel against you, that, Father, we will, you'll guide us. And, Father, if there is a, a grandmother or father or parent here struggling, it's easy for us to say, well, you ought to do so and so. And Father, it represents a grandmom or granddaddy who may be hurting for a grandchild. Holy Spirit, minister to them. Encourage them. And let them know that you're in control. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. And Brother Daniel, what are we going to sing tonight? I now belong to Jesus. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him the power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. on the way home I told Sherry I said you know I didn't know Bobby plays the piano she said well, what does he do for a living <laughs> I said tune pianos <laughs> anyway to thank th <laughs> thank you for for uh, uh, listen we have had a great great time here now hopefully I hope we're not gonna die anytime soon amen and if the Lord doesn't come back, we want to come back and visit, okay? We told them at Clouds Creek, Nicholson, Crawford uh, Center, where we started a little. We, hope, we want to come back and visit. We want to come back. But look, we're looking forward 
what's so encouraging. I know, Brother Riff, you've been through this, is to go back after a church calls their pastor and be there and see what God is doing. It's just great. And we're looking forward to that for Forest Heights in the days ahead. So uh, we'll see you. Not, not like we're saying goodbye. We'll see you in the store. We live here in Athens. Athens isn't a big town. So we'll see you. If we don't speak to you, you speak to us. And we're not trying to hi-hat you. Sometimes we just don't see good. <laughs> but we, we look forward to, to uh, seeing you in the days ahead.